We read the Holy Scriptures this morning in the book of Numbers, beginning in Numbers chapter 27, the first 11 verses, and then we'll go to Numbers 36. Numbers 27, in chapter 26, Moses has performed the second numbering of the children of Israel as they're about to enter now into the land of Canaan. The first numbering was at Mount Sinai, and that was the generation who through unbelief did not enter. A new numbering is called for to determine inheritance in the land of Canaan. If you look at verse 53 of chapter 26, unto these, that is those numbered, the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. And then if you look at verse 33 of chapter 26, you'll note that they already knew that a man called Zelophehad had died without sons and had only daughters. And Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mala and Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. So the new numbering has taken place and these daughters are excluded at this point from inheritance. Chapter 27, the word of the Lord. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Makar, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah, and they stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest and before the princes and all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered, against the, that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his own sin and had no sons. Why? should the name of our father be done away from among his family, because he hath no son. Give unto us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. Thou shalt surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass unto them. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then ye shall cause his inheritance to pass unto his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his father's brethren. And if his father have no brethren, then ye shall give his inheritance unto his kinsmen that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be unto the children of Israel a statue of judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. If you turn now with me to the last chapter of Numbers, chapter 36. And now they are going to march to the Jordan to begin the conquest. 
Numbers 36, and the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Makar, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spake before Moses and before the princes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, unto his daughters. And if they be married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then shall their inheritance be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and shall be put to the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall it be taken from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel shall be, then shall their inheritance be put unto the inheritance of the tribe whereunto they are received. So shall their inheritance be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. And Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph has said well. This is the thing which the Lord doth command concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, Let them marry to whom they think best. Only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter that possesseth an inheritance in any of the tribe of the children of Israel shall be wife unto one of the family of the tribe of her father, that the children of Israel may enjoy every man the inheritance of his fathers. Neither shall the inheritance remove from one tribe to another tribe, but every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance." Even as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zelophehad, for Mala, Tirzah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of, of Zelophehad, were married unto their father's brothers' sons. And they were married into the families of the sons of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments and judgments which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. This is the word of God. I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was here that I had preached a series of sermons on what I called the unsung heroes of faith upon men and women who are not noticed and perhaps even not known by us. They are unsung. There's no song written in their remembrance. We have in our Psalter, Gracious Lord, remember David, how he made thy house his care. We have a song in our Psalter, and Moses pled 
the promised grace and turn God's wrath away. But there is no song for the daughters of Zelophehad. There's no hymn, Dare to be a Daniel, who built the ark. Brother Noah built the ark. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I don't know of anything in song that celebrates the five daughters of Zelophehad. Mala, Milcah, Tirzah, Hogla, Noah. And I also pointed out to you when I was here the other time that these unsung heroes of faith, both male and female, teach us important lessons of true faith. And the important lessons are at least two, that true faith, first of all, does not call attention to self and to its deeds. True faith does not seek to exalt itself in the congregation, but true faith looks to Christ and to His deeds and cleaves to them. And number two, true faith does not wait and prime itself for a great moment when perhaps they burst through the doors to forbid this service or some other great moment. But true faith is to be found in the moment, in each moment, moment by moment, to be faithful to God. So who are these five daughters of Zelophehad? Could you have recited their names before you came to church this morning? What is it that is making them so remarkable? What is there about the boldness, the beauty, and the inspiration of their faith? And if we can't answer that question, then the fault is not to be laid with the Word of God, but it's to be laid with us because the five daughters of Zelophehad are mentioned five times in the Bible. We read three of them. And then in Joshua 17, verse 3, they're going to be mentioned again when they come to Joshua to remind him of their inheritance. And still more, they're going to be mentioned in 2 Chronicles 7:15 in the listings and the chroniclings of God's people. They are listed five times, and when the Bible lists names five times, the Holy Spirit is calling attention and having us underscore them in red. The five daughters of Zelophehad lived for 40 years in the wilderness. Their father was born, or under 20, when they entered into the wilderness. And sometime during that time, he married, and he had five daughters, no sons, and then he died. So they were orphans, probably between the ages of 15 to 30. The text focuses on a census that is being taken for determination of the lots of inheritance of the land of Canaan. And their names are not mentioned for inheritance. And so they stand before us in faith, and they stand before us as an example of the activities of faith. And their faith is an example whereby they as young women lay hold 
of the promises of God in Jesus Christ and claim that as their possession, that their faith went on to direct their choice of marriage and their choice of where they would live as young women. Their faith as young women wanted to be numbered among the people of God and to be found among them. And so I call your attention this morning to the unsung faith of the daughters of Zelophehad. We want to see what their faith wanted, the lessons their faith is teaching us, and finally, the inspiration of their faith. The faith of the daughters of Zelophehad very simply desired earnestly an inheritance in the promised land of Canaan, the land of promise representing figurative all the promises of God that are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. They wanted this not only for themselves, but they wanted this for the children whom the Lord would graciously, according to His will, give them. To make it as simple as possible, these young women desired in their life God's covenant blessing. They lived for the promises of God in Christ. As matters stood at the end of Numbers 26, they would not receive that inheritance or possession. As I pointed out in chapter 26, Israel is now at the verge of entering into the promised land of Canaan after the 40 years in the wilderness, and God has called Moses to take a new census. And we should bear in mind that this is the second census taken of the people. The first was taken at Mount Sinai in Numbers chapter 1. In the opening chapters, you have shortly after they had left the land of Egypt, a census being taken for the determination of inheritance in the land of Canaan. But it was that generation, those 20 years and older, who did not enter into the land of Canaan because of unbelief. That was the generation children that received the report of the ten spies who said that the land could not be conquered. That's the generation that God refers to in Psalm 95 as having provoked him by their unbelief, to whom he said, I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest, into the inheritance of my promises." They were the proverbial generation of unbelief in the promises of God. Their problem was not how big the giants were, and their problem was not how thick the walls were, but their promise, problem was their God was too small. They limited God, we sing, the Most Holy One, their conception of God was not who He is, but who they thought and what they thought He could do. And they did not enter because of unbelief. Now this second census is taking place. The second census, although in the first verses we don't read specifically that it's just to be among the males, 
That was the case in the first census. The second census was taken of the sons of the generation that grew up in the wilderness and as they would be the ones to inherit the promise. And among that generation who would have received an inheritance was a man called Zelophehad, and he had died during those 40 years and left behind no sons to be reckoned in the census, but daughters. But these daughters, these young women, by a true and living faith, coveted, coveted that possession in Canaan. They wanted their names down, listed with the people of God on earth, embracing the promises where the people of God are, embracing the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Put my name down there. That was their desire. Their desire then is not a carnal desire. Their reason of coming is not that they're upset that their dad and his possessions, his inheritance, the worth of that land is not going to come into their possession. We won't get this earthly inheritance. That is not, their desire is not carnal. Their concern was not out of covetousness. They are not appearing before Moses and Eliezer and the elders as a young man appeared before Jesus once when he was preaching and he said to Jesus, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Their concerns were not simply of the earth, earthy, but their concern was that land of promise in Christ Jesus, that land of Canaan, that land of rest, the picture of eternal rest, the fulfillment of the promises of God in Jesus Christ that God has declared everywhere in the Bible in which are the faith, constitute the faith that is in our souls this morning. They were concerned about that redemption. They were concerned about fellowship with God through the blood of Christ. They wanted to be included in the covenant of God and its blessings in Christ. This is what the land of Canaan pictured to them. In the program, I believe Mr. Kuyper cited Hebrews 11 of the Old Testament believers. These all died in faith, confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, but they desired a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God was not ashamed to be called their God, for they looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. They looked for that assembly, the church of the firstborn, the church of Jesus Christ. They wanted to be included in the assembly of just men made perfect in Christ. So it was not about getting upset that your father had an, a cabin in the UP unknown to you and it's being sold off because there's no inheritors and you would rush up there to claim that earthly cabin and the ground underneath it. But their coveting was the right coveting of the heart for all the promises of God. They wanted a name and a place among the people of God 
This language used to be, I think, more common. When I grew up as a boy, I grew up in the language of a name and a place among the people of God, the church of God under his precious truth. That generation called us to set our heart on that. And that's where their heart is set. Note with me that their faith then is not going to be passive at this point. Their faith is not going to be indifferent. They stand up for themselves as young women in Israel. There apparently is no one there to do this for them. They do not seek an advocate. They come before the most sacred place of judgment. They come for the place where needs of the people of God are to be met and where truth and justice is to be administered. They come to that place where God has revealed. They come to, they stood before Moses and Eliezer and the princes of the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They come to the place where God has chosen to reveal His will and to care for the poor and needy. They come in humility. They come in respect. They come in determination. They are not feminists. They are not bearing a grudge against authority figures. They are not suspicious. But they come as the sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and they present their case very simply. Our Father was not in the generation that rebelled those 40 years ago. Furthermore, he was not of that stripe, for he did not partake during the 40 years after their refusal to enter, during those 40 years, he did not partake in the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. He was not a rebel. He was a sinful man, and he would tell you that. And he told us that he had to meet the Lord as a sinful man, and his hope was alone in that blood of the Lamb. He was a sinful man, but his inheritance and his name must be remembered among the people of God as one of his children. And our name needs to be remembered as their daughters. We are part of this covenant too. And their argument is not only strong, but their character is strong. They love their father. And they loved the inheritance that they received through him. They didn't have a trouble with identification as a young woman. Who am I? How do I attain worth? What am I worth? They didn't struggle with that. They knew their identification. They were part of the promises of God in Christ. And so God, as we read, Moses goes to God and God responds, The daughters of Zelophehad have spoken right, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass now unto them. And then in the rest of that chapter, in chapter 27, God goes on giving them instruction now in specific how to deal with cases 
when the inheritance is put into question due to death, when there is no surviving heir, when there is no surviving male heir, when there is no brother or relative or kinsman, God makes it very plain the inheritance must at all times remain within the family. It must be kept. It must be passed down. Our inheritance must be passed down by the grace of God to our family. We must desire to impart this hope that is in our hearts onto our children. But the matter did not close at the end of chapter 27. Their faith would be called upon to act again. The faith of the five daughters. A contingency that was not addressed by Moses is brought just before they're going to enter into the land of Canaan. It's brought by the tribe of Manasseh again, the elders of the tribe. And the elders of the tribe are not contesting what was decided about the daughters. They support that. But their concern is exactly that the inheritance must remain in the family, in the tribe, and that it must not go out of the tribe through marriage. They say to Moses, what's going to happen if one of these five young ladies meets a very eligible and attractive bachelor from the tribe of Benjamin? Or perhaps an interesting different man from Zebulun, a seafaring man, and an attraction is sparked between them. And then they marry outside of their, inherit, outside of their family. And the Mosaic law would finalize finally in the year of Jubilee that the inheritance would follow the male, would follow the husband, which would result in their inheritance being brought now into another tribe. And the reality of that happening was real. You can study the book of Ruth. But it was real also because the carnal bachelor, widow, would look for a daughter, a widow, and marry her for the purpose of adding to the size of his own lot or inheritance. This is the reference in Isaiah 5 verse 8 when Isaiah says, Woe to them that join house to house, that lay field to field, who marry for this purpose. And God responds. And the words are very important. The tribe of Manasseh has spoken well. The daughters of Zelophehad must marry in their inheritance. Verse 6, let them marry to whom they think best. Only in the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry. And then we read immediately, the daughters of Zelophehad did as Moses commanded and married in the tribe of Manasseh. What did they want? What did they want for themselves and their children? They wanted inheritance, a place in the people of God, in the church of the living God. 
Do you want that? Do you want that as a young woman in Christ? Is this the thing that is most precious to you? That I be known as a friend of God among his people in the church under the truth of God's word. That's what I want. And I want that for myself. And I want that for the children God may graciously give me. Perhaps a better way to ask the question is not what do you want, but probably with us, the question that should be asked this way, what do you not want to miss out of? Fear of missing out. What are you most afraid that you are going to be excluded from in this world? That's a question for all of us, every one of us. What is it that you're afraid of missing Are you afraid of missing your health? Are you afraid of missing more things? As as a young girl, are you afraid of missing the love of a man and being married? Are you afraid that you're not going to have enough happiness in your life? What would you say in prayer, not what you should say, but what pops up in our hearts, what would you say to God, don't take this away from me? What pops up? Lord, withhold not from me. Please give to me. I don't want to miss out of. What? They said, Lord, withhold not from me the promises of walking in the light in Christ with thy people. That's what I want in my soul. It's written there by the Holy Spirit. I'm not after the dream life. I'm not after fame and beauty. I'm after that. I want the faith in the promises of God. And I have such a desire that that one want of those precious promises in Jesus Christ in a place among His people, that one want squeezes out all other desires. This is what I want. The lessons that their faith is teaching us are many. Let's go through them. Their faith is teaching us, first of all, the confidence. The confidence of faith. The assurance of faith. The settled character of faith. For note with me that they are asking for possession in the promised land and it is not conquered. It is not, so to speak, theirs yet. No swords have been crossed. The Jordan River, they haven't even gotten over the Jordan River yet. No battles have been fought. The former generation believed that it was impossible to begin with to conquer this land. They had not put a foot in the land of Canaan. They did not know its geography or see its beauties. But yet, because God had promised it to them and what it represented, they believed that that promise, that's the power of the promises of God, standing on the promises of God, they believed that it was theirs. And it was theirs because God said so to them. 
They were persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to give to them. That was the character of their faith. It was a confidence in God's promises. They believed them, and they acted on them. That's the true faith that we must have, that we must exercise, that we must hold before us. We hold to these things, even though in many ways our eyes do not see them. He has promised these things to me. And that faith then was not only in first place a confidence, but then note that their faith was also a sure reliance, a sure trust in God. So it was confidence and it was also reliance upon God. And we should see that because through all of these things, God is teaching them to rely upon Him. God could have, you read through the books of Numbers and they finally, Moses bumps his nose into, oh, yeah, what do we do if there's no son and there's only daughters? And then later on, Moses bumps his nose. Well, now what do we do if one of these daughters marries outside the tribes? God could have begun at the beginning and come to Moses and said, Moses, you need to take a numbering of the people of God according to the tribes, according to the sons, and now, Moses, you need to be alert to these problems, and here's the answer to these problems. But God didn't do it that way. God did it the way that they had to go through these questions. They had to go through these anxieties. They had to go through these problems. They had to go to God. God put them to the test. This, follow, this generation is not like the previous generation that does not enter in because of unbelief. They will enter into faith. But God has spent 40 years refining their faith. If I were to ask the children, I think they would all answer me correctly, why was Israel in the wilderness for 40 years? And we would immediately say, because that unbelieving generation had to die. Everybody over 20 had to die. That's true. But that's half the story. The other half is just as important because God spent time putting them to test and trial. He would burn His promises into their heart through trial to teach them to rely upon God. So God, God does not bring you everything happy by no means. But when He brings you trials as a young woman is that you may learn. Learn to walk. Learn to trust. Learn to rely. Their faith was confident. Their faith relied. Their faith was, number three, passionate. There's no complacency in these girls. There's no indifference. They're not just floating along. They have substance. They have a passion. They have something that is burning, desirous in their heart. They have something in their hearts that is consuming and directing life. It is 
a name and a place among the people of God. It is the Gospel. It is Christ. It is the church. It is a holy life of obedience to God. These are the things that they are passionate about. They don't just know them, but they are, in, they are passionate in their hearts. As the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, his son, lay hold of eternal life. Or as Peter says, give diligence to your faith. There's a passion that's burning in them, the passion of true faith. And that passion is seen in their love to their father and the name of their father. Their opening words were, why should the name of our father be done away because he hath no son? That means, fathers, that Zelophehad had a sinful man from his own lips had by the grace of God loved his daughters and they loved him. And that's a very rich blessing in the covenant of grace. The love of daughters for their father and the love of fathers in Christ for their daughters. That's a precious, precious thing. It must not be marred. His name was dear to them. It was dear to them because of what he taught them, how he had conducted himself before them, how he had protected them, how he had cared for them. His memory was precious to them. Don't look as a young person at your heritage as something to cast away. Why did my parents put this on me? But they valued, they valued the faith, the truth that their father stood for. They didn't say to him, well, I didn't ask for all this stuff. They loved it. And then finally, their faith was confident, relying, passionate. Finally, their faith is controlling. It's going to control the two most important decisions that you'll make probably in life and that is marriage and where you're going to live the choice of who you marry the daughters of Zophad said well the controlling thing in who I marry will be my inheritance in Jesus Christ my life of faith among the people of God in the truth that we confess together. That will be my life. That will be the basis of my choice. I'm going to marry in my inheritance. And so, Numbers 36, verse 6 is a remarkable statement. God says, let them marry to whom they think best. Only to the family of the tribe of their father shall they marry those who they think best. As a young woman, you must marry the one who you think best spiritually. You've thought about this. Not just any man who comes along and shows interest. Not necessarily just anyone who's in the pews this morning. But you've done this prayerfully 
before the throne of God. You've picked wisely. You've examined the young man. Where is his faith? How does his faith show itself? Your selection, who you think best, means that your selection must be volitional. You must do this. It must be intentional. It must be directed to be likely joined with that man who shares with you what is in your heart. That's the man you want. Only in your inheritance. But then that also is going to determine where you live. You will live in your inheritance. And here the point is not so much geographic, but the point is that you will live among. You'll live in that area where you'll live among. You'll be there where the cause of the gospel is to be found. Your choices. Our choices are determined by our faith. Faith in what? In our inheritance in Jesus Christ because that inheritance is what is beating in our hearts. We should make more of the faith of the daughters of Zelophehad. They should inspire us and I'd like to conclude simply by pointing out their place in the book of Numbers and God's intention in placing them in the book of Numbers. I've pointed out to you a number of times that there were two numberings. The first numbering and the first chapters of the generation that did not enter because of unbelief. They had a heart, says Hebrews chapter 3, of unbelief and departing from the living God. Everything was too hard. We don't care. Don't inconvenience us. We simply want the good life in Egypt. That's the bottom line for us. The second numbering is the numbering of those who will enter into Canaan through a true faith. And who are the examples of this? Is it the faith of Joshua? Is it the determination of Caleb? No, those two were the exception to the unbelieving generation. Well, who are the examples of that faith that enters into the promises of God? Who are the examples? Well, the book ends with the five daughters of Zelophehad, Mala, Tirzah, Milcah, Hogla, and Noah. The book ends with the example of the daughters of Zelophehad. All five books, all the five, first five books of the Bible, all five end with the people of God looking forward to the inheritance. Genesis ends with Joseph saying, carry my bones to Canaan. Exodus ends with Israel being led by the pillar of fire by day and cloud by night toward Canaan. Leviticus ends on Mount Sinai with Israel now going to march forth to Canaan. The book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses on Mount Nebo seeing the promised land. And the book of Numbers ends with the people of God at the verge of the Jordan River ready to cross over. All five books end with the promises being sought ahead of us in Christ Jesus, fulfilled in His blood. And the daughters of Zelophehad are the example of that grace of God. They were unknown to us, 
probably before this morning. They were unknown to us because God is saying, the faith, the faith that yearns and receives the promises, that faith is not to be found just in the heroes. It's not found in an isolated incident, but it is to be found in the heart of everyone born of grace. In you, me, unnoticed, but planted, your faith planted by God and known to God and pleasing to God. We pray that that faith which passes over, which holds fast, which stands on the promises, that that faith may be in our hearts. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. Thy word is always greater, richer, truer than we can express. We pray that that word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may enter into our hearts and enliven them, may comfort them, may direct them, that by faith we too may be persuaded, and that by faith we too may bring honor and glory to God by living in our faith and embracing the promises in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.